Have you ever sat across from a couple with a wife raving like a lunatic, accusing her husband of adultery or porn addiction, while her husband appears the epitome of cool, steely composure? Hi, I'm Kim Pollan, and I'm the founder of Hope for Spouses. Welcome to this episode of Lunchtime Live. For those of you who are new to our ministry, I started Hope for Spouses after my four-year separation from my husband due to his adultery. Now, it was a very long and bumpy road, but I chose to get out of God's way and let him work on my husband, and he did. And I focused on my own healing. I used the scriptures and I created a safe circle of others around me to help support me. And we've been back together for about four and a half years. And we have an incredibly emotionally intimate relationship. And both of us really believe because God is at the center of it now. So if you're here, it's because maybe you're either working with a couple or you're concerned about a couple that... Uh, appears to have a lot of the same issues. There's either the wife is accusing the husband of adultery, uh, of womanizing, of impurity, of sexual addiction, a host of other things. And usually what happens, and I'm going to create a little scenario, this may or may not be similar to what you're experiencing, but a wife comes to you almost embarrassed and ashamed to admit that there's sexual sin in her marriage. You know, you agree to get with a couple, and when they come in, the husband and wife pretty much don't talk to each other. They don't touch each other. Maybe sit on opposite sides of the couch. And you're almost afraid because the tension in the room is palpable. And when you start to ask what's gonna what's you know what's going on, it's like a dam breaks. She says this, he says this, and it goes back and forth. And you you start to feel this overwhelming swell in your chest like you're gonna drown under the volume of information and feelings and conflict. I mean, I can only imagine like Solomon. Solomon was considered the wisest man who ever lived. And in 1 Kings 6, um, sorry, 1 Kings 3, 16 to 28, he had two women come to him who both claimed to be the mother of a child. Both women had had children. One of them supposedly had died and this other one was left. And so, Solomon hears these completely different stories. He's supposed to decide who gets the baby. I mean, what do you do with that? And we'll get to that at the end of the story. Solomon figured it out. But when you have these scenarios, you have to look and ask yourself, okay, what is what are you seeing on the outside? So with this couple, this is what more than likely you're going to see. This is just one possible scenario. So for her part, she comes across like the crazy one because she's got a hurricane raging inside of her. I mean, you can practically see it. And the longer the cycle that this has been going on in the relationship, the worse the hurricane's going to be. She's simultaneously angry and distressed. And she almost comes across like she's demon-possessed and she's inconsolable. She can be defensive. She can be fearful. And it's because her whole world is crumbling. The person she thought that was supposed to love, honor, cherish, and protect her has either abandoned her and or become her emotional abuser. So she may have gained or lost weight. She may look ill. She may have developed literal physical illnesses. It's very common for women who go through this kind of trauma to get PTSD, autoimmune issues, uh, chronic symptoms of things like heart disease, high blood pressure, diabetes, even cancer. 
So what, what they end up doing is it's like they're vacillating between desperately wanting to trust their spouse and the terror of the trauma repeating and then being stuck in this insanity loop over and over and over again. Now for the, for the husband's part, because most of the time this is the wife is the one that's been betrayed, the husband is, is the one who's done the betraying, sometimes the roles can be reversed. So you got to figure out which your situation applies to. So for, for the part of the betrayer, usually it's, it's the man, not always, like I said, but if it's the man, he's either calm as a cucumber, stating uh, he either hasn't done anything wrong or she's blowing things out of proportion. Uh, or he could be angry, defensive, and prideful. Either way, he basically says, okay, she's just delusional, she's hysterical, she's temperamental, she's irrational. He blames, possibly he blames other things like, oh, it's her hormones or the kids or church or her family, her job. Like he can blame all these other things. But basically he minimizes what he's done and amplifies her reactions. And so basically he's painting her as the one with the real problem. Now that's the stuff on the outside. And, and we know in, in um, 1 Samuel 16, 7, when uh, um, Samuel was sent to go and appoint a new king, King David. So Samuel saw the outward appearance of all the brothers of David. And he's like, surely this must be the one. And God's like, no, man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So I'm going to challenge you to think the same way. I want, I want to encourage you to pray and to be able to see what God sees. So what is going on under the surface of what you're seeing right in front of you? So now this is, I'm going to do this from like a first person perspective. Okay. So, cause I've lived through this. So I, I really understand the mindset. So the woman is thinking in her mind, what's going on under the surface of her mind and her heart is I want to honor my vows. He's broken his vows. I love my spouse. Does he really love me? Uh, does he love me if he's going to really do something like this? And I don't, I don't know who he is. You know, you've lied to me. How can I ever trust anybody ever again? How can I trust anything you say, anything you do? And when I ask him about something, I feel insecure about it because he gets mad. He gets defensive. He deflects. He changes the subject. He manipulates me and makes me the problem. It's like he's always turning the tables on me. Or he gas gaslights me and pretends that it never happened. And this starts a crazy cycle that makes me literally feel like I'm losing my mind. And if I've, if I've erroneously put my value and my identity fully in my husband instead of God, then I'm going to question everything about myself. The very foundations of my identity are crumbling because they've been put in the wrong place. You know, I will be a complete mess. I'm going to question my choices. I'm going to question my values, my identity, even my sanity. All right. So from his perspective, this is again, one possible scenario. He may be thinking, why does she have to make such a big deal out of it? It's only porn. And so what if I look at other women? All guys do that. My father did it and he didn't turn out so bad. I work hard. I deserve to enjoy myself. I wish she'd stop mothering me. I feel like I'm drowning in her expectations of me. She's so needy. She doesn't appreciate all I've done for her in this family. 
I don't want any, I don't want anyone else in my business. It's my business. Nobody else. She doesn't have any business being on my phone or knowing what I'm looking at online or where I'm spending my time. I don't need counseling. This is a complete waste of time and money. Why can't she just leave me alone? You know, I turn to, you know, the porn or these other women because of her. She's a cold fish. She doesn't, you know, give me enough sex. She doesn't, she's not adventurous in bed like I want her to be. She's gained weight. She doesn't look like the girls in the magazines or on TV. She's not the woman I thought I married. God it can't expect me to be devoted to one woman my entire life. I mean, a man has needs. All right. Now, before you say anything in response, here are a couple of facts I want you to consider. Romans 3.23 says that for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In other words, we are all broken. These, this, these two people that are sitting in front of you, the husband and the wife, are both broken. And unless they have deliberately addressed and worked through the core wounds from their childhood, and everyone has them, they have unconsciously built their marriage based on the template of what they saw in their parents' marriage. Deuteronomy 5.9 says the sins of the father are carried on to the children. And basically what happens is if you have an alcoholic parent or grandparent or great parent, the same tendencies are followed in the lives of the children and grandchildren, not because God's condemning anybody, but it's because what the children see, it's all they know. They don't know any other template. So they tend to replicate and repeat those patterns, maybe not exactly the same way, but they have similar dysfunction. And everyone has dysfunction because all of our parents were sinners. So our tendency is to imitate what we saw growing up. And so number two, the real problem isn't the marriage. Most often the marriage is simply collateral damage due to one or both of the partners dysfunctional or non-existent relationship with God. If God is not at the center of the marriage, both the husband and the wife probably have idols that they, they are unwittingly worshiping and or looking to to give them value and identity. Or they're using them as a means to medicate from their core wounds. So Romans 1.25 talks about how we can't have anything as an idol in our life, anything that's created. So God is the only thing that's not created. He is the only one we're called to worship. But everything else can be an idol. It could be a person. It could be a thing. It could be an idea. Anything else that's not God that we are looking to for our identity and for our value is going to be an idol. We can even idolize ourselves. So what are some of the common idols for men? Sex, work, gambling, sports, video games, toys, okay, even their reputation. All of these can be idols. Uh, for women, it could be their husband, their kids, their home, their family, like their mom and their dad or the rest of their family. Uh, a job, food, shopping, social media. Now, this is not an exclusive list for either gender. But these are just some of the more common ones. Most people who are in sin 
especially when we're talking about idolatry, because the majority of our sins go back to idolatry, either they don't recognize it or they will try to hide it because of their shame. Now we're look, looking to look at a scripture. It's in John 3, 19 through 21. And it says, light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. And this is not even just men, but people. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. So, you know, it's our tendency is to stay in the shadow so people don't really see what we're doing, especially when we're ashamed of it. Adultery or watching and masturbating to porn is infidelity. It is impurity to God first. And we can see that Matthew 5, 27 to 28 talks about the adultery of the heart. And the second it is to the spouse, but it's first to God. Now, sexual addiction and adultery may be common in our world, super, super common. That's why you'll hear some, oh, men do that, okay? But the scriptures call us to not conform to the world. We're not supposed to be like the world. In Romans 12, verse 2, it says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And then in Corinthians 6, 16 uh, through 17, 1, it says, what agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. And as God has said, I will live with them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you. And I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. We're not supposed to go along with the way the world thinks. So what? A lot of other men that you know watch porn. A lot of, they look at other women. That doesn't mean it meets God's approval. That's what the world thinks. But God thinks completely different. Plus, what's even more challenging is that if we are continuing to conform to the world, if we are following these patterns of the world, a man will lose his soul because of that. If we look in Ephesians chapter 5, it says, For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of God, of Christ and of God. And then in Galatians 5, 19 to 21, it says, The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. These are really clear. This is what the Bible says, is we cannot allow these things to be consistently in our lives. They can't be a pattern of our lives where we jeopardize our relationship with God. We jeopardize our relationship with people. But most importantly, we are jeopardizing our relationship with God. Now, in a, in a, uh, in a 2014 Barna study, this is an organization that does a lot of different polls and studies. It says that 65% of married Christian men 
watch porn at least once per month. And 35% have admitted to having an affair, at least one affair in their marriage. So if a wife is telling you that her husband uh, has either watched porn, uh, is addicted to porn, uh, or has been unfaithful to her, the stats are in her favor. They are in her favor for this side of the story. So you have to keep that in mind. Okay, this is an important fact for you to consider. 95% of the time, if the wife is struggling, there's something broken in the foundation of the marriage. Now look back in Ephesians 5. This is God's directive. Okay, this is Paul talking to the church uh, in Ephesus, this is God's directive of the role of the husband. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through what? The word, God's word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. So if a husband is not First off, washing himself with the word so that he can wash his wife with the word. So that he will present his wife. Because that's the ultimate goal. He is presenting his wife to himself. I mean, he's the one that's got to live with her. He's the one that's going to spend his whole life with her. He's presenting her to himself as a radiant woman. She's glowing. If that's not happening, then he's not leading and his wife is majorly insecure because God designed this pattern. He, okay, he compares Jesus and the church. Jesus laid down his life for the church. He continues to lead the church. And, and husbands are supposed to be the same way with their wives. If she, if the wife herself is not grounded in the word and doesn't get her primary value and identity from God, then she's going to blame herself for the marriage's breakdown, especially if her husband is not taking responsibility for his own spiritual state and deflecting or blaming his wife. All right, so unfortunately, most addicts become pathological liars. They, they, pra they practiced it. They've gotten excellent at it. And they do it in order to protect their drug of choice, whatever that might be. In this case, we're talking about sexual addiction. I mean, they will look you, if you're sitting here with this couple and she's talking and he's talking, he could look you square in the eye and lie to your face. It happens all the time. We cannot be naive. The proof is in the life. It talks about this in 1 John 3.18. Let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. So if a spouse is saying, I do love my wife, but he is not proving it with his life. He is not showing by, by the demonstration of his actions. He is not showing that. Then he is lying. He's lying through his teeth. This is not my opinion. This is what God's word says. And it's very evident when you really understand God's word and the context of this. It's very evident to see what is going on. And more than likely, the husband who has been addicted to porn or impurity, he could be having multiple affairs since before they got married, he has more than likely snowed everybody, including his wife, including his wife. 
entering into their marriage contract, into their covenant under false pretenses. Now think about that. Think about how she must be feeling entering into a lifelong contract with somebody under false pretenses and she feels like she cannot escape it. That is where she is right now. So these are just some of the facts that I want to encourage you to be aware of. So how do you recognize a husband who is genuinely speaking the truth? Okay, these are the things that you could look for. He doesn't blame anyone for the state of his marriage. He accepts full responsibility. He is transparent uh, and he comes fully into the light with his own struggles. If we finish up that passage in John 3, it says, For uh, whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. So he is transparent. There is nothing hidden there. He also recognizes that he can't lead his family on his own. Proverbs 28, 26 says, Those who trust in themselves are fools, but those who walk in wisdom are kept safe. And then 24.6 says, Surely you need guidance to wage war, and victory is won through many advisors. So if if he's got to recognize that he can't lead his family on his own. I mean, there's there's no manual for how do you lead your wife? How do you lead your children? I mean, the scriptures give us a lot of guidance, but he's got to go after it. He's got to be willing to go to other men whose life that he can imitate and see, that's how I want my family to be. That's how I want my relationship with my wife to be. Please teach me. Please help me to learn. When a man has that attitude, you can know he's speaking the truth. He is, he is striving with all of his energy to be the best that he could be for God and for his family. You know, he is in the word himself. He takes the personal and regular initiative to be in God's word and then to find godly men who can guide him in his leadership. And he's willing to do whatever it takes to prove his repentance with his deeds. Acts 26.20 20 talks about that. And he is going to do whatever it takes to rebuild the trust with his wife. In 2 Corinthians 7, uh, verses 10 through 11, it says, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you. What earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. At every point you have proved yourself to be innocent in this matter. So when a, when a husband is genuine about his repentance, about change, about wanting to be the best for his family and his wife, and his sin is exposed, he'll do whatever it takes. It doesn't matter. If he has to quit a job, he'll quit a job. If they have to move to a different city, if he has to come out and talk, talk to uh, a safe group of people and confess his sin and ask them to hold him accountable, he will do that. He will do anything he has to because he has a genuine desire to do what is right. Now, before we, before we get to what you can do, okay, what you can do to help them, Let's talk about what, what, what you can do that would make the situation worse, okay? So first, I want to encourage you to remember uh, Isaiah 42, 3. It says, a bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick 
he will not snuff out. In faithfulness, God will bring forth justice. So God himself, okay, God is not, he's talking about that, that, that God, that if somebody is hurting, broken, bruised, that he's going to be gentle and compassionate with them. So if this wife, this couple that you have sitting across from you, if her husband has been unfaithful, either from porn addiction or from infidelity, this wife is not just bruised. If this has been going on for any length of time, she is a beaten, bloody mess. She may look okay on the outside, maybe not so good, but she could look like she seems like she has it all together. But inside, have you ever seen those pictures of the women with the, you know, black eyes, the bruises all over their body? That's what she is like. That's how God sees her. First Samuel 16, 7, that God looks at her heart. He sees what's going on underneath. I want you to see her the same way. She has been living with rejection and emotional, sexual, physical, and or spiritual abuse for a long time. And for all intents and purposes, her husband has abandoned his marriage covenant and with it, his wife. And in all likelihood, she is traumatized and suffering from PTSD, just like a rape victim or a war victim, somebody who has been in a war, in the trauma of war. That is where she is. And she desperately, desperately needs someone to help her to create a safe space to heal. Jesus himself met the needy, needy where they were. He met them and he met their physical and their emotional needs first. In John 5, 1 through 15, the man at the pool that he healed, he healed him physically. Then later on, he called him to stop sinning. In John 8, 1 through 11, the woman caught in adultery. He gave her a safe space. Basically, he virtually chased everybody away so he could create a safe space to, for her to heal. And then he called her to stop sinning. In the next chapter, John 9, 1 through 39, the man who, who uh, Jesus, he was born blind and Jesus healed him. He called him to discipleship. He called him to change after he healed him. So what should we say? Or what should we not say to the betrayed partner? This is really, really important, especially if you come from a background where you use the scriptures, you do marriage counseling with our couples. The tendency is for us to go to these go-to scriptures and use them to call the wife to something different. Okay, so this is what you don't do. Number one, please do not use 1 Corinthians 7, 1 through 5 to tell her she needs to have sex with her unrepentant, adulterous, or sexually addicted spouse, possibly exposing her to the equivalence of rape and even to an STD. Please do not pull that scripture out of context. That passage was written to couples who were both focused on being devoted to God. And if her partner is a sexual addict or has been adulterous, that, is not, that scripture does not address their situation. So please do not use that. Please do not use, use Ephesians 5, 22 to 24 to tell her she needs to submit to her husband in everything. That is pulling that scripture out of, out of context. You need to read the entire chapter of Ephesians 5. Number three, don't use 1 Peter 3, 1 through 6 to tell her she needs to be silent and not say anything in light of her husband's sin simply because he's her husband. 
This, that is not what that scripture was intended for. The man in that passage that they're talking about in 1 Peter was still committed to his marriage. So you cannot use that scripture in this context. Number four, don't use Luke 9.23 to tell her that her husband's sexual impurity is her cross to bear. Please do not misuse God's word. Please. If you say these things, it could be classified as spiritual abuse on your part. Because interpreting them in this context is pulling those scriptures out of what God intended the scriptures to be. Please don't do that. For their sake and for your sake. Nowhere in scripture does God ever condone or imply that marriage should ever supersede his standard for holiness and righteousness for both the husband and the wife. Just the opposite. In Hebrews chapter 13 verse 4 it says marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. When you use those scriptures and say things like what I mentioned, you, you further traumatize the spouse. She came to you seeking guidance and direction. And you, you've literally thrown her under the bus. And if it doesn't cause her to walk away from the church altogether, it will certainly make her doubt God himself cares for her. Okay? So what can you say to the couple? Now, if you haven't already, if you yourself haven't been trained and aren't experienced in dealing with sexual addiction and betrayal trauma, you haven't been educated, you don't have a degree, you haven't worked with couples, or you haven't been through this successfully yourself, there is little to nothing that you can say. I challenge you, please, I, I implore you, simply listen. Okay? If the couple is together in front of you, you can help, you can set healthy communication boundaries right there between them while they're in your presence. You know, one person talks at a time. Basic rules like no use, you know, speak to me when you're talking. You know, you did this, you did that. Or you made me feel this way. Nobody makes us feel anything. We own those feelings. So you can set healthy communication boundaries in that way to help bring down the, the intensity in the room. And I think something that's really important is you just have to own the fact that you don't know what to do, that this is way over your head. Tell them that, that you don't have the answers to what's going on, that you don't know what to do, okay? Now, for the betrayed partner, okay, the most loving thing we can do for them is listen. They probably have a boatload of sin and dysfunction, too. And their partner's betrayal has only magnified that, okay? That was me. Boatload of sin. Didn't see them. But because of my husband's sins, mine had gotten magnified. My fears, my insecurities, all of that had caused me to, to be prideful, to be mothering, to be controlling. Idolatry, right? So it, my, my sins had gotten magnified because of my husband. And, and I had to deal with those in time. I had to face those in time. But for now, I just needed to heal. I needed to heal. When somebody walks into a hospital, okay, you don't like yell at them because they, 
you know, stepped off a ladder or they did something stupid, you fix them, you let them heal first. You know, and this for 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 this betrayed person, it could be in the form of counseling, you know, or, and or a support group for them to be a part of. But primarily the scriptures have to be where they find their true identity and their value in Christ. It cannot be in their marriage and it cannot be in their partner. That other, they're a human being. They're broken. They are incapable of giving that betrayed partner their value and their identity in Christ. We can only get it in God. Now, for the betraying partner, okay, they need help too. If they want it. If they want it. If they're humble enough to say, I do need help. If they don't, if they don't think they have a problem, there is little to nothing that you can do. You can't force anybody to change. They are broken too. They have core wounds too. I mean, think of the prodigal son. And it's probably going to take a professional counselor to help them work through those core wounds if they are willing to admit it and to deal with them. But that's got to happen before they can start working on the marriage. The marriage is way back on the priority list. They have to focus on themselves and their relationship with God, their core wounds first. Now, you can also recommend a support group for them. Uh, they need male accountability partners, somebody who has worked through this stuff, successfully worked through it, this stuff, that can see, that can recognize when this person is snowing them, you know, or they're telling them the truth. They know the questions to ask because they've been there. And it is so necessary that they too get back to God's word to find their true identity and value in Christ rather than in the world or in their family of origin, their co-workers, their buddies, whatever. They've got to find their identity and value in Christ and not what other people tell them. Now, I highly recommend these counselors, um, these uh, support groups, that if possible, that they be Christ-based, Christian-based, that they're using the scriptures to do that, to help them to work through that trauma. Now, what is probably going on inside of you while you are sitting there listening to this drama play out in front of you? So let's get really honest here. More than likely, you're feeling pressure. You're feeling cornered, like, I didn't know that this was like, ugh. This, I didn't know this was going to happen. I wish I wasn't here. I wish I was somewhere else. You know, what can I say to make this better, to fix this problem? What can I do to, you know, you may be thinking selfishly, what can I do to get these people out of my house or out of my office or whatever? You know, and we think we have to have the answers to fix their problem. And we need to be able to have the answers right now. And so we may come up with things that really don't solve the problem instead of just being honest and saying, I don't know. And when we don't have the answers, we can feel threatened ourselves. The world, our culture, even our church's subculture can, can teach us and convince us that we have to have the answers to everybody else's problems or it's our job to fix them. And it has to be done in this time frame that we're sitting here with them or in two or three weeks. This stuff takes years for people to change. So all those little things that are going on in your head, it's a lie. It is a lie. It is a false understanding of how people need to heal. We are not Solomon, the wisest man who figured out which one of these two women, these two mothers, was really telling the truth. And he did. It was brilliant. Go back and look at it. Okay? So 
please, 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 please don't respond like the world. What the betrayed partner needs more than anything else is love. Somebody that will listen. They need someone to sit with them and not judge them. Someone who will pray with them. Someone who will point them back to Jesus. And who will say, I don't know how to help you, honey. I am so sorry. But I'm not going to leave you until you've gotten through this. I am committed that I will find a way for, for you to get the help that you need. To the unfaithful partner, the one who's been addicted to porn, who's been unfaithful to his wife, they need someone to love them as well. But we're not talking about a coddling kind of love. You know, we're talking about an agape love that is more concerned about their relationship with God and their salvation than their marriage. Again, the marriage is not the issue here. It is simply the symptom of the fruit on a symptom or the fruit on the tree. All we see is the fruit. If we could just pluck that off, it'll all go away. No, the real issue is so much deeper and we've got to help this couple to get to the root of the problem. But if we're not experienced, then we need to make sure they get to people who do have the experience to do that. Okay, now, according to these Barna stats that we were talking about, especially if you uh, are in any kind of a ministerial role or you're in a leadership role in your church or you have you know, multiple couples in your life that you um, counsel or help, um, this stuff is not gonna go away. It's only going to get worse. The more the social media, the more digital we go as a, as a world, the worse this stuff's going to get. So what can you do? How can you prepare? You've got to get educated. You've got, you've got to dig into God's word. You know, let your mind be transformed itself. You know, Romans 12, 2. So you can start to think more like God about purity and about the protection of the helpless. What God, what's God's definition of marriage is, what it's supposed to look like. And then you can also go back, uh, the video that I did last time, video number 68, I talk about how God feels about, you know, women, the, the very women I'm talking about here. Like, what, what's God's biblical view on separation? in the wake of betrayal. How does God feel about it? And I really talk about the heart of God to, to help women who are in this kind of a situation. And I want to impl implore you to, pre to pray to see your congregation, your fellowship, the group of people that you have around you through God's eyes. This is not the only couple in your church or in your fellowship that is going through this. Believe me, it is out there. It is rampant. All right. Now, there's a few sources I want to refer you to. Okay, four four different books. Uh, I'm going to put all these into the uh, description of this so that you can go and find those. The first one is called "Worthy of Her Trust." It's by Stephen Arterburn, and there's uh, two other people that wrote the book with him. There's a couple that went through th this very similar thing. So, "Worthy of Her Trust." Stephen Arterburn and Jason um, Martinekas, and then his wife also makes comments throughout from her perspective. So if you have three different perspectives of how to rebuild trust uh, and in sexual integrity in the marriage. The second one is the emotionally destructive marriage. And I share this one because the majority of marriages that have sexual addiction or, uh, or infidelity in them also have emotional abuse in them. And we think, you know, emotional abuse, you know, what, what, is, what, what, what is that even? 
Um, and, and it's a lot of the same things that we're talking about that you're seeing with this couple that's sitting in front of you is this very unhealthy dynamic. And it's so under the radar, unless you're really looking for it, unless you under, uh, understand the patterns, you won't see it and you will be fooled by it. So really important book to read. The other one is by Mark Laser, and it's called Healing the, the, uh, the Wounds of Sexual Addiction. And then uh, Untang Untangling Addiction by Dr. Marcus De Carvalho. And, uh, and he really goes into detail about how the brain works and why... Uh, how Jesus can really be the 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 the, scent, the linchpin through recovery. So all very very good resources. Now, if you know a betrayed spouse who is going through this and she feels lost and at the end of her rope, please 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 refer her to our sources here at Hope for Spouses. We have a YouTube video library. We have a private Facebook group. And our website, and I'll include again. I'll include all of those links in the description section of this uh, video or podcast, whichever one you're you're watching or listening to. If you are a betrayed spouse and you feel lost and at the end of your rope, and if all of this rings so many bells that your head is ringing, then I want you to do. I want you to do this. I want you to schedule a free breakthrough call with me. Okay. So we'll get on the phone for about 45 minutes to an hour. And my goal is that you get clarity, you get direction, and you get biblical guidance for moving forward in your recovery. And most importantly, you're going to find that you are not alone, which is what Satan wants you to think. He wants you to think that, that nobody understands this, nobody understands what you're going through, and that's a lie. Because there is a whole host of people that are going through this exact same thing. The stats are real and true. Okay, that concludes this uh, week's episode. If you have any questions, I want to encourage you to please contact me at Kim at HopeForSpouses.com. All right, so I am Kim Pullen, and we will see you next week on the Hope for Spouses Lunchtime Live. Take care.